Hello, and welcome to the second chapter. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy, and I'm here to remind you that it's never too late to start your next chapter and to share stories of interesting and insightful women who may just inspire you in your current chapter. This week, I'm speaking with Danielle M. Orsino. Danielle has kicked ass throughout her life, literally. Starting as an international award-winning martial artist and now as a writer of high fantasy novels, Danielle and I discuss how her short career as a nurse led to writing, how she ended up on her book covers, and why women have a place in the male-dominated world of high fantasy novels. Rings of Power, yes, it looks great, but I'm like, really, another Tolkien? And I'm sure every Tolkien fan is throwing things at whatever they're listening to this on. But there's new voices. I would like to see more women enter high fantasy. The problem I see is that most people think, when they hear fate, they think romance. There are high fantasy female authors. We do exist. We are out there. And yes, we're violent. There's political intrigue. Guess what? We have dragons too. We do exist. We can get outside of the Game of Thrones. Hi, Danielle. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and I can't wait to chat. I'm really excited too. I have to say, I used to use the hashtag, we are badass, as part of the second chapter. I haven't been using it as much lately, but I feel now talking to you that putting me into the realm of badass, you are the one who is so badass. No, please. I think as women, we should all use the hashtag, we are badasses. I think everybody is allowed to use that. Good. I will go ahead and take it and continue to be badass, but you have been a silver medalist, martial artist. Talk to me about your martial arts history because, like I said, so cool. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm a silver medalist for Team USA for WKA, the World Martial Art Championships. I went down to Florida when the USA was hosting the World Championships, which was the first time they returned to the U.S. in, I think it was 10 years at that point. And it was in Walt Disney World. So ah. once I heard Walt Disney World, Team USA, I was like, yeah, I'm totally in on this. My grandfather actually was friends with Walt Disney and they drew together. So I have a certain affinity for Walt Disney. That's such a cool like historical coming back to it for a completely different reason. Yeah, it was like that full circle moment. So I just thought if I could, th that was the one title that had eluded me. I just thought I need this. I want to be on a U.S. team. Mm -hmm. And here it is in Disney. And I felt like I was dedicating it to my grandfather. So I really wanted to compete. And uh, I was also doing it with a Chinese style. I had started in Taekwondo, which is a Korean style and quote unquote, a hard style, meaning it's linear. The form patterns are usually in an H or an I pattern. And the movements are snappy. This is mm -hmm. the best way I could like a staccato kind of movement to whereas I was going to be competing in the Chinese soft style. So your pattern, your form could go in a circle. It could be based off of an animal form. It's more fluid. If you're thinking of the matrix, let's say, for a quick way to describe it, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at your typical crouching tiger, hidden dragon. I was going to say from like a pop culture kind of reference, how would we envision yes, it? Yes, that makes perfect crouching sense. Crouching tiger, hidden dragon, that's what you're looking at. So to make that jump between the two styles, for me, this was a challenge. And I thought, all right, what better place to do it than Disney? And so I tried out for the team, made the team and decided, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I got to train with a coach, Jingbong Jun, who is, he's trained with, he was on the Wushu Beijing team with Jackie Chan and Jet Li. Like, you don't get much better than that. 
And I remember going down to his place in Chantilly, Virginia, and him literally looking at me and being like, how old are you? And why would you start Wushu now? (laughs) How old were you at the time? I was (laughs) 38, I believe. Yeah. I love it. I was competing at, quote, an older age. And I was about to age out of my division. So it's like I had to do it then. And he was just looking at me. I remember his jaw almost hit the ground. And this man was older than me. His form was beautiful. At one point, he was he made me do laps, and he was running next to me, and I couldn't even see his lower body moving. He was that like graceful and fluid. And he's the ambassador for Eagle Claw, which was my form. So if somebody needs an Eagle Claw form demonstrated, they actually call him. Yeah, so it's you don't get better than that. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm a little older starting this art. He's like, a little. <laughs> and I was like, all right, dude, eyes back in the head, like chill out. But I got to spend time with him learning the idiosyncrasies of my art, my style, and then went on to train and you know, I took the silver medal. There was some issues with my costume that some judges felt I shouldn't be wearing a Shaolin monk costume as a woman, a Shaolin mm-hmm. monk uniform, traditional as a woman. And so a hundredth of a point went off for that and... I wound up with the silver medal, but hey, I look good in silver, so we're cool. <laughs> what got you into martial arts to begin with? My father. It w- I did not set out. A lot of it's funny. A lot of my stories start with I did not set out, but I did not set out to be a martial artist. I have to say, the second chapter in general, a lot of stories start out with I didn't set out to, or I never planned to, or I never thought I would get to. <laughs> e- exactly. You're I- speaking my language. Yeah, I was 18 and I wanted to go to New Orleans with my girlfriend, Jen. And my dad was like, you never went on spring break. What makes you think I'm going to let my 18-year-old and her best friend from sixth grade go and play Lucy and Ethel down in New Orleans? He's like, (laughs) in what world do you think this is a good idea? And so he came up with the idea, if you go and get your yellow belt in Taekwondo, I'll let you go. Looking at me like, there's no way this kid's going to do this. And I'm like, all right, deal. And I walked into this Taekwondo class because he knew, my dad knew at the gym they offered it and he knew the instructor vaguely from just being at the gym or whatever. And I walked in, hand on my hip, sweatpants rolled down, little sports bra, chewing gum, stood in front of all the black belts, which is a huge no-no, walked right in front of them like who I thought I was. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I'm here to take karate. (laughs) I didn't even have the right art. (laughs) And I drove that man, drove him crazy for a good 10 years, but I made it. My first class was a disaster and a half, and but that was the last class I ever paid for. I only paid for the first month. After that, I never paid again. Was that like a sponsorship or how does that work? No, he just, my instructor just saw something in me. I don't know why, because like I said, I walked in there like who I thought I was, but he tormented me. He pulled me out of line. He was like, you're supposed to be standing down there with the white belts. And there was, I think, two or three kids. Yeah. They were, they still outranked me. They were blue belts. And I looked at him. I was like, yeah, that's where the kids are. I'm an adult. (laughs) And he was like, oh, and he's like, can you do a push up?" And I was like, yeah. And I do real ones, not girly ones. And he was like, oh, goody. Oh, goody. <laughs> and he walked me to the back of the room. And it was like one of those multi-purpose aerobic rooms. So it was hardwood. And he said, can you do one on your knuckles? I was like, yeah, sure. I did one. And he's like, do it again. Did another one. And he's like, great, hold it. And I'm like, what? And I remember just like my body slumping. And I was like, what do, you, what do you mean hold it? And he's like, 
hold it. And there was something in his voice that just put that fear of God in me for that moment. And I was like, oh, okay. And I held it. And he just walked away and started the class. And I remember thinking, where, wait, wait, where are you going? How long do you want me to hold this? Yeah, I was like, what's going on? What, what, what did I just say yes to? And minutes went by. And I started sweating. My arms were shaking. And he came back. And he got on all fours and came, got down and looked at me. And he's like, so this is what we're going to do. Wash all that makeup off your face. He's like, find a t-shirt that covers your stomach and get back here and let me know when you're ready to learn. You got it? And I looked at him and I went, yeah. And he went, yeah. And I went, yes. He's like, <laughs> yes. And I went, sense. And he went, no. He's like, sensei is Japanese. He's like, we're Korean. And I went, okay. He's like, sabanim. I went and did that. And I came back. And I remember him looking at me like, you came back? Like, even he was shocked. And I was still like, what am I doing? Why did I say yes? And he went, okay, are you ready to learn? And I'm like, yes. And he taught me my first, I think I learned a stretch kick, a front kick, and a down block. And that's all I did for an hour. And that was the beginning. So do you think there was something in it that you were missing? I don't know. I don't know whether the right way to ask that question even, but was there like a discipline that you just were drawn to or was there something about the physical form of it? Or what do you think made you stick with it? I think part of it, I was never somebody who needed discipline. That was one thing that even my dad at the time in high school, I remember thinking I wanted to apply to the Naval Academy and my dad watched the video on plebe summer. And he was like, yeah, no, you don't need this. This is like, he's like, I could say this is something you don't need. That's not an issue for you. But I think it was just more the challenge that I was drawn to. And the idea, I grew up on superheroes who didn't love Kato, mm -hmm. Bruce Lee, Wonder Woman, watching those and thinking one day I want to be like that. That was that this was as close as I was going to get. It's fun to put on tinfoil bracelets and, and block bullets in the privacy of your own home. That's right. great. And we can all paint the fence like Daniel Sun did. But actually, here was somebody who could teach me. It was all different. Now it was real. And that's right. where I was like, I wonder if I could do this because I wasn't a big team sport person. It's not like I went to school and everybody was like, pick her first for the kickball team and dodgeball. No, mm -hmm. I was the smallest one. Nobody was picking me first. This was like, I wonder if I can do this. It was just something called to me. So I gave it a shot. And you're also in the Martial Arts World Hall of Fame. Is that right? Yes. I was inducted in 1999 to the World Martial Arts Hall of Fame. And then I was inducted in 2000 to Ed Brown's Pioneers and Legends Hall of Fame as a female competitor of the year. Like I said, hashtag you are badass. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So this wasn't your whole life, though. You also were a nurse. How did it work together? What led you to nursing? I guess after you beat people up, you want to make sure you can patch them up. I don't know. <laughs> I had a lot of injuries. So I found myself eventually heading in that direction because when you have, I had pulled my hamstring directly from the ischial tuberosity. I had done some major injuries. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you're just around healthcare and you're kind of like, well, I'd like to know what that means. And I want them to talk to me more like they're really talking to me and not placating me. So that was the first, I want to know more. I want to know how to fix this. And when I popped my hamstring, one doctor was like, oh, you're never going to do a split again. That's it. Your career is over. And I remember thinking, no, it, it can't be over. 
So then I went and saw a Chinese medicine doctor who had a totally different view. And he was like, okay, so we're going to get you off red meat. And I'm like, okay, why red meat? And he's like, I want to start with the diet because that promotes healing. And he's like, red meat, scar tissue. And I'm like, okay, that's bad. And he's like, yeah. And he started explaining it. He's like, start drinking raw pineapple juice. These are the stretches I'm going to give you. And I was faced with, okay, Western Eastern philosophy medicine. What do I do? And I chose the Eastern philosophy. And I was back in a split and a year later, avoided injury, surgery. My hamstring was 80% detached and it was fine. And I was like, wow, okay, here were two different modalities Mm -hmm. and what is going on. So I just went that way more out of, there's got to be a way to bridge these. Maybe if I study, I can be one of those people to help. So nursing just headed that way. And I believed in my heart of hearts, I said, I was going to apply to naturopathy school I was applying at the same time to naturopathy school, PA school, and NP because I was like, I'm going to be a mid-level provider somehow. The universe stepped in again and was like, no, you're not. So when the universe did step in again, what did the universe do then? (laughs) Yeah, the universe has this way of being like, oh, you have a plan and laughing and being like, that's so cute. Uh, aren't you sweet? You know, it's, as I've moved down to the South, I felt like the universe was saying, bless you, bless your heart. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Bless your little cotton socks. Yes. It was just like, aren't you sweet? You think you have a, you think you're in charge here, don't you? Oh no, honey. No, I was nursing. I was actually finishing up all my prereqs for PA school. I was taking NP interviews for NP programs. I had the naturopathy school brochures like on my desk. And I was going, maybe I could do that. Okay. Yeah. I was getting it. I was working in a Lyme disease clinic thinking Mm -hmm. I'm going to help patients with Lyme disease. Like I was making protocols with the doctors and almost taking the same approach that this Eastern doctor had taken with me, which was let's get their gut health ready and get them ready for these long IV treatments, this whole thing. And I met a patient. Always starts with something like that. I had met a patient my very first, it was within my first week. And it was his first week as well. So once again, the universe was like, let's have you two walk side by side and see what happens. And he was a football fan as I was. Of course, he was a Ravens fan. I still don't hold it against him, but still. I'm a New York Giants fan. I was going to say, who's your team? But I'm guessing from your accent, you're going to say Jets or Giants. Yeah, I'm a New York. Yeah, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee for the New York Giants. And he was a Baltimore Ravens fan. And I was, I actually at one point held the needle up and said, I'm sorry, I can't stick you if you're going to keep talking about Ray Lewis. It's just never going to work between us. <laughs> and we just became close. Mm-hmm. He was, it was just one of those where we clicked. And after about a year and a half, he just didn't want to do his treatment anymore. He was dripping every single day. It was a very aggressive protocol. And I was like, all right, look, you got to stay in the chair. He'd struck a deal with the doctor because he had moved up his life from Pennsylvania to Westchester County. And he was like, I got to get back to work. I've got stuff to do. So the deal he struck with the doctor was he would come up on Wednesdays, drive five hours, drip for two, turn around and go home, return on Friday, drip Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and go back home. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to last all of two weeks if we're all lucky. But okay, sure. After about three weeks, a month, he was like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm out, Danny. He's like, we're not doing this. He would backslide. It was the whole thing. So I said, all right, you got to stay. And he's like, then find a way to keep me in this chair. And I had rearranged my schedule so I would be there sometimes when he would come in on Wednesdays. And so I said, all right, tell me something interesting about yourself. Just Mm -hmm. whatever. And he went, all right. I was recruited by the CIA directly out of college. 
And I'm like, how did I not know that? That's like some good gossip. I was like, wow, <laughs> damn, that's good. So he was like, I said, oh, we could have found out what was really happened in Roswell, the magic bullet for JFK, like totally down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole we went. Right. And he said, no, it was for the Trends and Intentions Division of the CIA, the most boring part. What is that even? I have no idea what that is. Basically, he would have been an analyst and that's it. I was like, oh. So I was like, all right, brain, start thinking. So I'm like, you know where Lyme disease really comes from? He goes, yeah, I know. He's like Plum Island. And once again, down the conspiracy theory. And out of my mouth, no idea why I was not reading any books about the Fae, nothing. I was on a vampire kick. I said, no, the Fae. That's why they're trying to get back at us for the way we treat the environment. And he looks at me and leans back in his chair and he goes, the who? I said, you know, fairies. I said, but a big secret agent man like yourself, you know all about him. I said, in fact, I know why you're really here. And he's like, you do? And he's kind of looking around like, I'm not quite getting what she's talking about. She has lost her mind. Yeah, he's like, I don't know if I should call for help now. Like, He's looking at his bag like, how much of this crap is left in there? He's ready to run. So I said, yeah, you want to know if the nurse here is a fey human hybrid and she's been sent by the rest of the fey. And we start talking and I put him in the story. I made him the Mm -hmm. CIA agent. I'm the nurse. And he was like, okay, who are the fey? I was like, oh, they're angels who were locked out of heaven between the creator and Lucifer. And he just went with it. And so every day he sat down, I just made up another chapter. I'm just trying to entertain the guy. I'm not thinking, oh, I'm going to write a fantasy novel. Right. Just whatever. And he liked it. So I just kept telling him stories. And if something happened in the IV room, I made it part of the story. The doctor had a black lab. That's where the idea for King Jarvok to have a black dragon came from. It was just whatever. And my patient kept saying, you need to go home and write this down. He's like, I don't care what you're doing. And I was like, no, no, no. Let me explain this. I just dropped about 10 grand in prereqs and finishing my classes early. My goal is to go pump some faces full of restylin on the side and make some cash as a physician assistant, NP, whatever. I was like, I got plans. I'm going to go make money. I don't have time to go write books about fairies. (laughs) And the universe went, yeah, I don't know, sweetie. No, that's not your plan. And I developed a severe allergy to the very drugs I was working with. Really? Went into anaphylactic shock. Whoa. Okay. I knew about the novel. I knew, you know, about Mm -hmm. how these stories, but I did not realize that this was such a dramatic end to your short-lived nursing career. Yeah. Universe was like, I'm going to throw some pebbles. Oh, you're not getting it with the pebbles? Here's a rock. And finally it went, you know what? Here's a boulder. And uh, yeah, I had a needle stick accident. I was treated with the drug that I was treating other people with. Went into anaphylaxis right then and there within two, three minutes. Almost died. And I still went back to work thinking, no, 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 that's okay. I won't ingest it. It's all good. It won't uh, happen no, again. I be around it. <laughs> and I then got into PA school literally like within months. And I had written the book at this point. I had started the manuscript, did all that. It was, it was being shopped around. And I was told by the school that I'd got into, should the book come out while you're in the program, you are actually in violation of the employment contract because you cannot work while you're in school. And I went, okay, but if the book comes out, they went, no, it's in violation. 
It's a $30,000 fine. You can be kicked out and all your loans go into default. And by the way, none of your credits transfer. It's med school. Right. So despite the fact that the work was basically done, they -hmm. were saying, okay, no, because it's being accepted as a manuscript or whatever, or becoming published, therefore you're working? Or was it because- Yeah, because technically they they saw it as you would still have to promote it during the time. Right. And when I said, what's the chance of this really happening? And the head of the administration was like, look, off the record. I said, yeah. And he's like, I remember meeting you. He's like, you have bright fire engine, red hair. I'm like, yeah. He goes, you also wore a blue power suit to the interview. He goes, when everybody was dressed in black. I went, oh, yeah, that would be me. (laughs) I'm like, I thought you were supposed to power colors, whatever. Hillary. I was like, whatever was going on. I thought that was the thing to do. He goes, do yourself a favor, honey. He goes, bet on red, bet on yourself. Go write the book. He said, can I tell you, will there be one teacher, one professor, one doctor who always wanted to be a writer and finds this out and brings it to my attention? I'm then forced to act on it. Do you really want to be in default for $185,000? And it was just hearing him say that and hear that number that I went, oh, that's a house. No. So I went, no. I was like, all right, I got it. And the first thing I did was I took my acceptance letter. I took a picture of it because it did say med school at the bottom. Let's be very clear. Yes. It said med school. Sent it to my father. And I said, does this count as getting into medical school? (laughs) And he called me. And I said, so I got into this. And he went, oh, my God, you got into med school. It's great. And I went, yeah. He goes, oh, you've been wanting this. And I went, yeah. So I said, I made the decision. I'm going to go write a book about fairies. Okay, dad, love you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Click. (laughs) And just sat there. And I went, the phone's going to ring in a second. Two seconds later, the phone rang. I picked it up. I go, yeah. Hi. And he goes, so D. And and my dad was real calm. And once I heard that calmness, I went, oh, boy. And he's like, could you just explain this again to me? (laughs) And I did. And he went, oh, wait, how much is it going to cost? I said $185,000. She went, good luck with the fairies, hon. Love you. Click. (laughs) I think at this point, you were what, like 40-ish? Yeah. Yep. But you become a child when you have to tell your dad something like that. <laughs> oh, God, automatically. And my dad was in Atlanta. It's not like I thought, oh, he's going to fly all the way up to New York. But there was still this, there's a chance this man could like somehow teleport to my house. <laughs> so we have to be clear and, you know, strategic on how we tell him. Yes. Yeah. I remember any kind of major life thing. It was always like, oh, how am I going to tell my dad? <laughs> Yes. 100%. I'm going to be in trouble. I'm an adult. But yes, I completely get that sort of scary feeling like he will find a way to be here and kill me. I don't know. Yep. There's still the fear of God. My dad did a very good job raising me in that sense. There's, It's still there. So it's not like this was a fluke, though, because this has become an entire series. This has become very, really successful for you. Without that kind of drive to be telling a patient a story and, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. I'm going to get it on paper. How did you kind of realize, okay, this is the real deal. Like I'm an actual writer. I'm still waiting for that moment. Yeah, I'm still waiting. I have flashes of it where I'll get a DM from a reader or something will happen and I'm like, oh yeah, I do that. But I don't know if it's truly sunk in yet. And it's not like somebody's like, oh, you have imposter syndrome. I said, no, it's not that. I think I'm still in shock at times. Mm -hmm. Even when I look at the books, I'm like, oh, I wrote that. Yeah, that came from me. Because I've written so many that I tend to forget and then I have to go back and read and I'm like, I did that. 
Oh, okay, cool. So how many are you up to now? Book five comes out on September 23rd. I am almost finished book six. I'm pretty much done with them doing some tweaking and then it'll go to editing. And then seven, eight, nine are in their second draft kind of things. And then I have a novella that I'm playing with. So I playing with them all. You know, they're all characters that are still running rampant in my head. I was just talking to a friend of mine, author uh, C.R. Rice, and we were discussing doing an actual uh, crossover novella between our, our worlds. Oh, that's so, cool. <laughs> it's cool that I like I have that writing community. She's awesome. And she writes young adult fantasy and trying to bridge this high fantasy with young adult is a new thing for me. But it's just, it's weird to think somebody wants to read my stuff in one sense and that I sit and make up things for a living. It's like the imagination pays off. It, it's just different. But at the same time, it feels like, no, this is right. This feels right. Fantasy is having such a moment as well. And I think it's interesting because I think for such a long time, it was like, I don't know, the realm of the nerds. Whereas now mm -hmm. it's cool to be a nerd and into with rings of power being out and just even something like Game of Thrones, where we're looking into these historical worlds and these fantasy worlds and, you know, they're really big business. How do you think your timing maybe has fit into that? And what kind of goals do you have or what secret plans do you have for mm -hmm. all of this, all of these worlds? <laughs> I think I can't, it, it's weird. Do I think fantasy is having a moment to a point? I still think it's male dominated high fantasy and that's upsetting. I would love to see them remake Mists of Avalon. That was a very successful television series, mm -hmm. miniseries, with Juliana Margulies and such, and it was beautifully done. But when I look at, okay, Rings of Power, yes, it looks great, but I'm like, really? Another Tolkien? And I'm sure every Tolkien fan is throwing things at other <laughs> podcasting, whatever they're listening on to this on. But I'm like, there's new voices. I would like to see more women enter high fantasy. The problem I see is that most people think when they hear Faye, they think romance. They think Sarah J. Moss, Cassandra Clare, and it's romance or it's young adult. And I'm like, there are high fantasy female authors. We do exist. We are out there. And yes, we're violent. There's political intrigue. Guess what? We have dragons too. There's these moments that I'm like, we do exist. We can get outside of the Game of Thrones. Like, okay, House of the Dragon. Is it good? Yeah, it's great. And good job, George R. R. Martin. Like, awesome. You're riding that pony all the way. But or sometimes riding that I'm dragon. Like, you're or that <laughs> dragon. Yeah. Go for it, man. But we can expand our point of view to other worlds and other high fantasy and give women more of a voice in this. I don't think women are getting that voice. I think what they do is they stick us either in children's or romance, like Outlander. Yeah. But I don't think we yet have a voice in high fantasy. Such a big part of what my, I mean, like my production company is about having roles for women 35 plus, telling our stories. This podcast is obviously about that. But I think there's so many, not just stories to be told and not just roles to be filled, but so many genres that aren't even associated with women yet. And you saying YA, working with somebody in YA fantasy, and like that's too again, having a moment, but to see two female authors get to work together like that, that sounds like such an amazing plan because that is something that I feel like hasn't really been explored, like you said, outside of whether it's romance or this is what we expect from I get that. All. I got that, especially when book one came out, I had people going, where's the romance? 
And I'm like, sorry, I have angels that used to be highly regarded that are locked out of the shining kingdom and are trying to figure out their life on earth. My girl, Queen Aurora is not like, let me swipe left or right on Tinder. I'm going to go look for a man. No, she ain't got time. No, she's like, I have a budding war happening with this power brigade angel, Jarvok or something, who wants to wipe me out. And Jarvok does not have time to go rape and pillage. She's like, I have to figure out a way to take out the virtue angels, which are outgun us. He's not like, please bring me a woman. No. And when they found out he was a virgin, they were like, you made the dark fae king a virgin. I'm like, why does he have to be a lover? Why can't he be like, I don't, where do I stick it? What do I do? He had no idea. And people were like, you did what? I was like, why do we have to follow follow those stereotypes? I think there's so much more to explore. And I had, I remember when the book was first being shopped around, people were like, you're going to change your name, right? You're going to make it DM Orsino. And I was like, no, it's Danielle. I I, No, they were like, but you're violent. I was like, have you read my background? I'm sorry. I'm a martial (laughs) artist. Heck yeah, I'm violent. This is what I do. I, this is the one thing that you could put on the book and be like, WKA silver medalist. Like, people will expect fight scenes out of me. I, yeah. I videotape them before I write them. I dress up as these characters so I can actually say, Edna from The Incredibles was correct. No capes. I do this <laughs> for a reason. So I think women are still pigeonholed into certain things. And I somebody asked me, they were like, oh, you want to see this as live action, right? I'm like, no, I want to see this as an anime. Have you seen my dragons? But I spent months talking to physics professors, mechanical engineers, veterinarians to make these dragons that if they were on Mythbusters, they would be plausible. This is an anime. I want Dee Snyder to be like, yeah, I'm playing Dragor. Let's go. Gene Simmons, how you doing? I want all my dragons to be played by rock stars because let's face it, dragons are the rock stars of the fantasy universe. So I was like, no, this is how I see it. I've talked about doing a documentary, what it's like to be a female author in the fantasy realm. So people can see it because I think too many times documentaries are done once you've made it to the top. And that's all great. And when Stephen King, and I'm just using him as an example, is sitting from his mansion looking down on all the little people being like, I remember when. Okay, that the view from the top is beautiful. I want to see you as you're climbing. What is your view like? When you backslide a little bit, What is that moment like? I want to hear those things because I think that's just more of a human interest story. Yeah, I absolutely love the the hard parts. That kind of led me to two questions for you. But the first one is in this transition to becoming a writer and in all these stories you're telling, what's been the hardest part? And I think change as a whole always comes with some difficulties that are relatable no matter what you've changed from to. I think- Change is always difficult. It's always uncomfortable, but that's what makes it change. You're questioning yourself constantly. Like, was this the right move? Should I have done the logical road? That's, that was constant for me. The judgment, because whatever job you're in, you get an evaluation, whether you're a nurse, whether you're whatever. And the goal is the next time we sit down, have you improved? And you have that chance. When you're a writer, however you wrote it, that's it. Okay. Nobody goes back and goes, all right, let me, I'm going to take that book and I'm going to rewrite it just because I'm getting this critique, that critique. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get to redo this and then hand it back to those same people that critiqued it. And they're going to go back and change the rating. No, it's done. It's in the history books. We're finished. So if that person who critiqued you was having a bad day 
or maybe just didn't get book one, but could go back and read it a year later and go, you know what? It wasn't really that bad. Okay, you going back on Goodreads and taking down that two-star review or are you leaving it up? <laughs> exactly. Everybody's like, well, you got to have a thick skin. I'm like, okay, yes, but you have to realize that's creativity. That's part of birthing it. If you're going to your job, whether it's sitting at a cubicle, whether it's doing construction, whatever you're doing, the next day you can make it better. When you've written a book, that's it. It's written. It's the written word. It's over. It's done. So I've had to get used to deciding whatever I wrote, I have to stand behind it. And as an author, let it go. But I think people, this idea of keyboard balls has grown exponentially. And people sometimes say things that have nothing to do with the book or have just decided whatever they, you know, they hear an interview or whatever, and they decide this is what I think of you. And I'm therefore going to let it cloud my judgment on the book. And right. you can't take it personally, but it is personal because it's your work. And that's been a hard thing to learn. Yeah. I do feel like that's just a anything that you create, even if it's not that you're in a necessarily a creative job, but if you are creating something, it is mm -hmm. so difficult not to take it personally. I mean, I know mm -hmm. that I, I, no matter how thick I try to make my skin, if it's something that I have directly touched and it has been such a passion for me work-wise or whether it's the podcast, whether it's something I've done with my production company, I coach triathlon, all of it is so personal to me. And it is really difficult to not say, yeah, there's something personal <laughs> if somebody yeah. doesn't like it. There are always going to be people that don't like it, but it is something that you have to get used to that not everybody's going to love everything you ever do. Yeah. I've said my book is not for everybody. I've said that and I've said, I don't expect everybody to like it. What I have said is just, if you don't like it, that's cool. Just realize there's another person on the other side. So just watch your wording in the critique. Yeah. That's my whole thing is I don't expect everybody to like it. My book, I'm not one of those authors that sits there and goes, oh, my book's for everybody. Oh, no, it's not. I'm the first one to say, no, let's be clear on that. I just think sometimes like I've had situations where somebody leaves me a glowing review on Instagram on a tour and they're like, oh my gosh, I loved it. It was this, it was that. And somebody will come in and go, yeah, I didn't like book two. And I'm like, oh, they're talking about book four. Nobody asked you about book two, honey bunch. Nobody's here talking about book two. They ain't nothing about, but you, what are you like? And that's where I'm like, can we, the trolls, like, this person was just like, oh my God, I loved everything about it. I love this series. This is the greatest thing. And then like somebody comes in and goes, yeah, she's not really pretty on the cover. Those are more the comments that I'm talking about. Hey, you don't like the book. Don't worry about it. Somebody else will. But really, we, we got to kill the buzz. Well, that was the other thing that when you were talking about people asking if you're going to change your name, not only did you not change your name, but you're actually on the covers of the books. So it's not like you can hide from the fact that like, I am a woman writing this fantasy. You are going all in and saying, yes, I'm writing this. I am on the cover. People know not just the book, but your face, you in costume as these characters. Yeah. If you want to talk about betting on red, I just took the whole pile and shoved it to the middle and went there. How's that? Yeah. I went all in. It was not my idea. So I have to give that credit to Valerie Willis and Erica Lance, the CEO and COO, respectively, of Four Horsemen Publications. I do dress up as my characters. I had been doing that. I took some promo shots for a magazine. And when I switched from my former publisher to Four Horsemen, 
they were like, oh, okay, what's the plan for the book covers? And I had this whole dramatic like, oh, they're all going to be different shades of blue to show the fey blood being spilt. This whole thing. And they were like, <laughs> uh-huh. And I showed them the cover for book two, which was all just typeset in the same style as the first edition of book one. And I remember Val going, really? I was so impressed with myself with like this whole thing. And she went, okay, so we saw these shots of you in your author kit as a mermaid. What are you doing with those? And I went, oh, I don't know what they're doing. And she went, but you on the rights. I said, yeah. I was like, yeah. Val looked right at the camera. She went, I need your dragon illustrations and the mermaid picture and give me 24 hours. Just give me 24 hours. We're going to have another Zoom meeting. And I saw Erica. She knew what was going on too. And I'm like, okay. Next day we met and all of a sudden they went, okay, you ready? And I was like, ready for what? And the mock-up comes up on the Zoom screen and there I am as the mermaid with Raycor, my dragon done by Pandy Van, my dragon illustrator in the background and locked out of heaven. And I'm like, what's this crap? I was like, I'm sorry, what? And they went, so we're re-releasing all the books. We're going to re-release book one, new edit. And we've decided you're on the cover. And I just went, why? And they were like, because you're a cosplayer and you dress as your characters. And this is great. This is so fabulous. And, and nobody does this. And I went, yeah, nobody does it for a reason. I was like, you get I am not a spring chicken. I was like, this is, I'm, I was like, first of all, I'm even over the age of 35. Once we get past that, I am over the age of 40 nobody puts a 40 year old on a cover of anything unless you're like an actress or a supermodel. Like, and they went, we love it. And I just stared at the two of them. Like, do I have a say in this? Then here are my rules. You can't airbrush me to look 25. This is my age. Mm. This is what it is. And they went agreed. And I said, okay, I'm like, when the day comes that I can't do this anymore, you are going to buy me a pint of Haagen-Dazs. You will sit me down. Tell me I'm beautiful. I'm lovely. Oh my God, I'm the greatest thing ever. Tell me I can't do this anymore. I said, I'm going to curse, say some nasty things to you guys. You're going to hang up, call me back the next day. We're going to make up. And then I will have a say in who the next person is. Are we agreed? And they went, that seems fair. I said, but I have to have a say in the pictures. And they went, yeah, we're good. And I went, all right, I guess we're freaking doing this. And it was just one of those like, oh, I hope I'm not going to regret this moment. And since then, I've been on the cover of every book. I love that, though. The idea that it's, you're not going to airbrush me to look like somebody else. It would be very easy to say, oh, just put the Vaseline on the camera kind of thing. Blur everything. Oh, the thought crossed my mind. Make Don't me get me 19. wrong. <laughs> the thought was there, but I thought, I have an opportunity here. It's being given to me to do something really cool. So then the other thing was, I will show behind the scenes shots whenever I can. So mm -hmm. people can see, oh, okay, no, she's not airbrushed to the gods. She's not snatched. She's not pulling a Kardashian. There's no muscles removed from her traps. You know what I mean? Like these, this is not Photoshopped. This is her. And here we go. You are presenting something you're proud of. And there is something really admirable and cool to say. I Not only is this my book, but I'm on the cover I'm loving these characters. I dress up as these characters. Not to use the word badass again, but it's so badass that, you know, this whole thing is you. But obviously then, like you were saying, when people critique it, it's double the, ugh. It's all me. Yeah. There's nowhere to hide. But at the same point, if you're going to do it, then let's do it. Because nobody can sit there and say, well, do you really believe in your product? What do right. you think? Exactly. I make the costumes. I write it. It's all me. So if somebody critiques it, 
you are critiquing all of me and I have to take it. When you're talking about the themes and some of the things, the violence and things in your work, I know that you are on a couple blasphemy lists. Tell me about this. Yeah, I really don't know how I got there. I just know I'm on them. Don't I see? I don't know what they look for, but book one, <laughs> I joke because the people that are chasing me, I'm like, you guys haven't even made it to book four. Wait till you get there. But they're still all concentrated on book one. The main issue was that my first publisher decided to put me in Christian fiction. Bad place for me. Bad place. Yeah, because you were yeah. talking about like the falling from heaven, Lucifer, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yeah. The main issues that landed me on the blasphemy list is because, spoiler alert, at the end of the book, I have a biblical event that we're all aware of that happens, the parting of a certain sea. And what I have is I researched how it could have possibly happened. So I did all this research and this doesn't mean it didn't happen or it did happen. So let me just preface it with that. The general consensus from science was a water spout. water spout had caused the parting of the Red Sea. Now, whether you believe that was a biblical issue or not, just scientifically, the way the Red Sea parted, we have a water spout. Okay? That's how it happened. So I decided I happen to have this fey queen who controls wind so she can mm. help make a water spout. Cool. So I'm like, oh, that works out so well. That's great. So I have her do that. And she's doing it because there's a fey battle, which humans happen to walk upon. And while they're praying for the Red Sea to part, it happens due to this fey battle. Some felt that was slightly blasphemous. (laughs) Now, once again, in my defense, as this happens, my fey queen looks up at the heavens and says, I think I just did your dirty work for you. (laughs) According to the humans, God did it. According to the fey, it's a fey battle. They control the elements. They have elemental gifts. This is what happens. Later on, the queen decides, I'm going to go watch these groups of Israelites because she feels a connection to them. They're roaming. They're abandoned just like they are. So she watches them. And the creator speaks to them. And I take a quote from the Bible. So this all happens. I'm not saying God doesn't exist. Nothing like that. Again, people took offense to that. I have another section where uh, the Dark Fae debate Lucifer and the Creator. And they say, well, Lucifer took his demonic horde back with him and did not abandon anybody. We fought for the Shining Kingdom and we got stuck and locked out. Gee, who's the bad guy? That's it. That's the big debate. Once again, some people took offense to this whole issue. We are still forgetting it's a fantasy book. And so they felt the book was blasphemous. And so I started receiving some not so nice DMs and emails about how I should burn in hell and blah, blah, blah. And then two Christian leagues, committees, groups, whatever they're calling themselves nowadays. It's been going on for two years, so I block a lot of it out, had put me on as a person of blasphemy. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean exactly? Like, I feel like one, I should be getting a badge or a trophy or a medal. I know that. Yeah, that's something. Yeah, I've got my patch. I've got my membership. Yeah, I feel like I should be getting something. And then they tried to put something up on YouTube to garner support to, to move the Vatican to ban the book. YouTube took the video down. 
thank you. It was only literally, I don't even think it was up for a minute before YouTube was like, no, you can't do this. Like, no, you cannot say, no, no, this is a freedom of speech, you know, whatever. But they were petitioning the Vatican to ban the book. And I, at that point said, look, if the Pope wants a copy of the book, I'll send it to him. It's no problem. We'll handle it between me and the Pope. We'll exchange clothing ideas, whatever. (laughs) But yeah, they weren't happy. I started getting more DMs. At one point, people were like, oh, you think the gospel's be I'm like, the funny thing is they said, I've never spoken about it. But then they turned, I started getting some violent ones that died down. And then recently, probably within the last month, I started getting very violent DMs. Like it just picked back up again where people started coming. They, I had one person show up at my house trying to take pictures. <laughs> then they followed me. And uh, then, you know, I had some not so nice followers on Instagram threaten me. And they, I had somebody try to bomb, like porn bomb a live interview I was doing and they were kicked out. So I, it, it's weird. I've, I have, I laugh because I'm like, okay, let me just make sure I'm understanding this. You are Christian right-wingers claiming that I'm doing something against God. So you're using violence and you're threatening me. I'm like, doesn't that go against that whole Jesus thing? I'm just asking once again, just asking. I said, but I don't think Jesus is sitting on a cloud somewhere golf clapping you going, go get that little redheaded author, guys. You go after her for writing that fiction book about angels. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I think this is a going against all his teachings and that whole turn the other cheek. Once again, yeah, could be wrong. The joke I say now is when they tell me they ask for my home address a lot on Instagram because they want to send me a book and pamphlets. So my answer is always the same. Lucifer has not told me what realm of hell we will be living in once we're married. When he does, I'll let you know. But for now, we're registered at Bed Bath & Beyond. Please send towels. (laughs) I understand that people are very firm in their beliefs and they think they're doing the right thing. But at the same time, like you said, how is violence in any way related to the teachings of the majority of religions, to be fair? Mm -hmm. And and. Why is a story like they don't have to read it? It's not like you're suggesting people go out and kill each other. I actually <laughs> say that in the book. That's the funny thing is I actually say all these things in the book. I specifically say that and I say humans are twisting it. Just don't be a jerk. Like that's really what I say. But I don't put anybody's religion down. And the funny thing is in an interview, no one has ever asked me, by the way, do you believe in God? Are you a religious person? I'm like, they laughed to know I went to a religious college and actually took theology, biblical course studies and did all this. So I'm like, maybe you guys should actually ask me if I believe in God, because what you're doing is pushing me toward the other way. I don't put anybody's religion down. This whole thing and my obsession in a sense with angels and trying to get all this right was because I do appreciate religion. I have a lot of questions about it, about organized religion. Mm-hmm. I do question things because, yes, a guide who takes attendance on a Sunday, yeah, I tend to just go, why Sunday? That's just me. But I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I think everybody has their path. Go ahead and walk on it. It's not my place to judge you. I just don't think the promotion of violence, I think that kind of goes against everything that religions talk about. We kind of all can live together in in a nice world. There's other things to worry about and maybe take that energy and actually put it towards something that will do good in this world. Absolutely. It actually reminds me, if you don't mind sharing your quote. I have a quote from Wonder Woman that's before you raise a hand in violence, extend a hand in peace. 
And I think, you know, Wonder Woman's my hero. So I just always like the idea of before you go and judge, I think it's the same thing. Ask the question. You know, we're all quick to do that. And it's the same thing with this idea of extend your hand before you raise it. I think we're all quick in this society nowadays, especially because we are separated by keyboards more and Zooms and social media. We're all very quick, snappy. Oh, what did you mean by this? I took it out of context and boom, we're off to the races. Yeah. Maybe ask a question first and just, why did you mean that? And you might be surprised. They might be like, oh, no, I totally didn't mean it that way. I would say nine times out of 10. Obviously, if somebody tells you you're burning in hell, they probably mean that you're burning yeah, in hell. Probably, yeah. but, but most of the time, I think when I've worried that somebody's taken something the wrong way from me, or I've worried that somebody's written something to me that I may be taking the wrong way, nine times out of 10, that's not the case. It's, oh no, this isn't what I meant at all. And if you ask the question, people aren't really offended. You know what I mean? Most of the time people want to do good, but I like to think, maybe I'm an optimist, but I like to think that most of the time people are fairly good at heart. I think so. I'd like to think so. I really would. I just, I think we've become a little numb because we are separated in some respect. And there's usually a keyboard separating us that Mm -hmm. once again, I go back to keyboard balls. So I think just sometimes you got to just ask the question and get the clarification. I would rather have you ask me the question to get the clarification because I'll respect it more. And then if I came across that way, I'll tell you, hey, look, I'm sorry. This is how I meant it. And we've just totally avoided anxiety for both of us. Yeah. Ask the question and be willing to apologize if you're in the wrong. Those two rules, that could change the whole world. (laughs) It's so simple. I joke that every politician should have to watch like the first season of Wonder Woman with Linda Carter. And and, like you would so you would learn so many lessons in that. It's just really compassion, empathy, wisdom. Huh. And when you think about it, you're like, oh, okay. It's it's simple. And we just make it more complicated. And I do love that you're talking about violence in your book and martial artists, and that's your background. But at the same time, your belief is compassion. I I think that speaks to the duality of being a nurse. It's like, I like, I want to be compassionate because we could all use a little more compassion in the world. And Bishop Awin, one of my bishops in uh, book three, he says, he said, compassion can build a bridge across anything. It's just a matter of we have to take the time to do it. And that's, I think, a big piece of it as somebody who was also picked on as a kid, you know, I'm small, whatever. There were times where just a little compassion probably would have changed a lot. And I think we could just sit back and realize there are probably times where we could have used compassion and given it to someone else. So between your quote and Wonder Woman's, that's such a great thing for everybody to take away from this. So I want to end it here, say thank you so much for coming on, talking about your books, talking about your amazing hashtag you are badass martial arts career and all of the amazing changes you've had. Thank you so much, Danielle. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram and sign up for the second chapter newsletter. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at thesecondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.